0: Mm-hmm.
1: fans welcome back to amazing avenue audio the show my name is brian with me as always is chris we are recording this live via locker room tonight and so um if you're already hearing this uh you probably missed our locker room conversation but uh thursdays at 7 30 we are doing a locker room on the locker room app which is basically a chat app and so uh chris and i are here to talk mets uh Together and with anyone else who wants to hop up here. So anyone who is in the room, feel free to request to speak if you got something to say. And, um, yeah, we'll go from there. Chris, how exciting has it been to watch the Mets win some baseball games?
0: It's been exciting to just watch the Mets play some baseball games. (laughs) That is very true. (laughs) It's crazy that we're this far into the season. Uh, Opening day was, what, two weeks ago today, right? Yeah. Uh, Or the originally scheduled opening day and opening day for most teams in baseball other than the Mets and Nationals. So it is, uh, it's, it's been fun to just briefly have regular Mets baseball. And, and then, you know, of course we were interrupted again today by weather, but it, it's been nice. I mean, one of the best things about baseball and, and obviously one of the things that just didn't feel the same last year was that regular rhythm of the baseball season. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I said it going into the short season last year, and, and I want to be consistent with that now. You know, the Dodgers won a World Series, and they shouldn't be given any less credit for doing that than anybody else, just because the circumstances changed. You know, they still they still accomplished that. Uh, but getting ready or getting excited for this season, even though you know the p- pandemic is far from over, it was just a lot easier. Um, because you knew that we'd have six months of baseball. And I expected some COVID interruptions. It just sucks that, you know, the Mets had to deal with them first.
1: Yes. So I, I was on a podcast today for our fellow Espionation site, The Good Fight. And we were talking about how last year the Phillies had to play five doubleheaders in something like the last 15 games, days of the season like some crazy amount because the Marlins had the COVID outbreak that really impacted the Phillies. The Phillies lost, I think, six or seven games, um, John, the host I was on with, said, and how he thinks that's part of the reason the Phillies finished so uh, weakly at the end of last season was because of that. And, you know, so far the Mets have done a pretty good job of getting the doubleheaders in before the end of the year. We, we, we now have, I believe, three doubleheaders scheduled for June – and we have one scheduled for, um, for September. So hopefully, this does not become a situation where the Mets are going to have a similar situation at the end of the year where they're just doing double header after double header after double header to sort of make up those games.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I'm glad as much as they play the Phillies early, I'm glad that the Mets do have an opportunity to make up this game from today in June. Yeah. Um, just to spread things out a little bit. I mean, the the one upside, it, even in seven inning games, I suppose it's still kind of hard to sweep a doubleheader. Um, but any game for the Mets, I guess, postponed to mid-June, late-June, or the second half of the season is a game that maybe Nova Syndergaard, Carlos Carrasco uh, could start, and Seth Lugo sh- certainly should be on track. Um yes say that one a few times fast, to, <laughs> to be available in the bullpen by, by the time uh, at least some of these games are made up. So that, that'll that be nice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the most exciting things about watching the Mets win the last three games was just that it seemed like, you know, sometimes you watch your team win and it seemed like the plan that was set forth did not go as did not did, did not work out necessarily, but the team still won, right? You, you still got the result you wanted. This seemed like, you know, the Mets went up there. Each pitcher had a plan. They more or less executed that plan. The offense was not you know, not, not always great, but was timely with the hitting. We saw, and I'm not the biggest situational hitting guy in the world. I, you know, I don't think that we need to have, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's not all bunts and, uh, and hit and runs. But it's nice to the Mets take advantage of some situational... Hitting opportunities and just generally play solid baseball. You know, aside from Dom Smith's error, which was changed to a hit as of I think this morning or last night. You know, the Mets played relatively solid defensive ball for three games, and that's that's not always the case either. It was just a really strong series for the Mets.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's <clears throat> it's been a lot of a lot of fun to watch these starting pitchers, um, particularly. I mean, Degrom. Is the best you can get, and the best pitching experience of, you know we've had as Mets fans, despite having this rich history of pitching, and and you know Ari Dickey, Johan Santana, um, Pedro, uh, especially early in that contract with the Mets, was still pitching really well, and and was a little on you know a little healthier, <clears throat> um, and then of course going back to the, the '90s and. For older fans who remember the 80s or anything before that, there have been a lot of pitchers like that, but there just hasn't been anybody on DeGrom's level uh, in terms of what they bring to the table. But Marcus Stroman and Taiwan Walker have both been, and and David Peterson yesterday too, but Stroman and Walker both went out and had two starts that were very fun to watch.
1: Yes, absolutely. And if anybody in the room wants to uh, add anything about any of the starting pitching we've had so far this year, uh, I'd love to have some other thoughts on this. I mean, I I was pretty high on the Taiwan Walker signing when the signing happened, and then watching him in spring was a lot of fun as well just because he he seemed to be pretty much instantly the pitcher we all hoped he'd be. And over the first two starts, he seemed that way as well. Okay, we have Jace, who wants to talk up here. Hey, Jace, what's going on, man? Hello? All right. Anyway, um, but you know, uh, Walker has been a lot of fun to watch and has been a really, uh, I, I think, will be a really solid pitcher for this team. Thomas and I were talking last week about about uh, uh, Walker and uh, basically just saying that you know he was, that if his velocity is this up and his slider is moving this much, this is the best he's ever looked essentially which is crazy, and that's a great thing. That's what the Mets hoped for when they signed him. You always hope you're getting the guy in the prime of his career, but very rarely when you're on when you're somebody's like third or fourth franchise, very rarely are you getting them in the prime of their career. So it's been really nice to see Walker in two starts. And then Stroman, my goodness, Stroman looked great. Um, I mean, every time he's going out there, but especially the, Wednesday, uh, the Tuesday night start, I, I thought Stroman just looked fantastic. Um, he's been so much fun to watch pitch this year. I forgot how much fun he was to watch because we didn't get to watch him well.
0: Yeah, yeah. And on top of pitching <laughs> to good results, he's just, he, he's so into it. Um, you know, so if you're pitching poorly, I, it, it might not be as noticeable or, or enjoyable, but when things are going well, um, it's just nice to see that he's as excited as any Mets fan is to see the guys behind him make plays. Um, even last night, you know, in a game he wasn't pitching. Uh, He was pretty noticeable on the rail of the dugout as one of the guys up there who was just really into it. And uh, I don't know. There's just a whole lot of likable personalities on this team right now. And two years ago, um, you know, as we were getting to enjoy the beginning of a very fun season with Pete Alonso, uh, I I don't know if you could have really told me that there would be, multiple players on the team who might be even more energetic and having even more fun playing the game than, uh, than Pete, who I think (laughs) really does. Uh, and, and, you know, that, that's, that's been a a really fun development. And Dom Smith is one of those guys too. I, you know, not to deviate too much from pitching, but, um, you know, I, I just like how Dom has such a calm, quiet sort of way of going about things and then when something great happens, he is totally uh, pumped up and, and into it. So, yeah, yeah, it's 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 fun to have guys on the team who, who are you know, that kind of got to watch.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is again off topic, but that's okay. So on on the Good Fight podcast today. Uh, the host John set up a uh, basically a snake draft for us to do. He basically said we can pick any position players in the National League East. Um, who would we draft for our teams? And so, you know, the first player I took was Ronald Acuna Jr. Just because I love Acuna, I think he's great. And you couldn't you couldn't pick pitchers, by the way. It was just uh, just position players. And uh, when it came to my last pick, I had open range of basically any Met hitter who wasn't uh, Lindor. So I'm going to ask you, if you could pick any Met hitter, Chris, to draft right now, besides Lindor, who would be the first one you'd pull?
0: Mm. That's a good question. I mean, it's a, it's a very fun lineup. I guess I'd mm, man, <laughs> I was not ready for that well, question. it's tough, and that, uh, that's
1: why – so I, I'll tell you, well, I, I picked Dom.
0: Because yeah,
1: I, I mean – you know, I was kind of, I said, you know, part of it is recency bias. Dom has been very good this year. Uh, and part of it is that it's its a fantasy draft situation where defense isn't going to count, right? Um, right. And so just, just in terms of, like, a pure hitter, he's my favorite person to watch hit on the Mets right now. He just, he uses the whole field. He knows, <laughs> he knows when to pull the ball. He knows when to spray it the opposite way. You know, I just think he's such a fun hitter to watch. Uh, John had said he would have gone with Conforto over Alonzo. But, but to me, Dom – and again, we haven't seen – we haven't seen Dom play every day maybe for long enough. I think Dom is less streaky than those guys are as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the only thing with Dom is that little bit of uncertainty. But, you know, a really good overall hitter who also has power in there uh, and a pretty substantial amount of it, that – That's, uh, it's, it's tough to beat, but I guess, you know, it depends on the context of a hypothetical fantasy league and all that. Nimmo, if on base percentage is incorporated is, is absolutely elite. So that is true. Um, so it it might be him, you know, I think, um, I don't know. I, 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 am not sure Nimmo is properly appreciated or underrated or overrated. I, I, I don't think he's overrated, but, um, I don't know where Mets fans really stand on on like what he is as a hitter. I feel like they don't fully appreciate what he does at the plate.
1: Um I mean his eye is just so good. I mean it's 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 it's, it's unreal. Especially I don't mean, we're in a very early season and we're in a truncated very early season because the Mets have had five postponements or whatever it is thus far. You know, so um but his you know, he's getting on base He's chasing David Wright's record of so he's been on base twice every game for the first eight games, and uh, David Wright's franchise record is ten games. So he's vast. He's quickly approaching that, and it seems like he, you know, I have every reason to believe that he'll be there. I, I think that his, you know, his his skill set is not the sexiest. You know, he's not a great center fielder. He doesn't have a ton of power, but he gets on base at a crazy clip, and he, you know, he's. If he was playing left field every day, I'd feel I'd feel entirely different. But I still think, he... yeah. Well, moving along from starting, moving along from starting pitching, you know, has there been any position players? Uh, I guess aside from Don Smith and Brandon Nemo, who you just talked about, who have been particularly standing out to you as,
0: early in the season? Um, I mean, I know he hasn't really heated up too much yet with the bat. That I think he's starting to. Uh, you know, but just watching Lindor play shortstop has been really nice um, <laughs> on on MLB TV last night, I and mean, it wasn't an easy play. So I'm not trying to like pick on a Med Rosario here by any means, but there was just a, a tough play that Rosario didn't make, uh, and Lindor has just been so reliable in these few games that we've gotten to watch him uh, out there. So I think. <laughs> Just seeing that has kind of been like, okay, yeah, this is this is good. And then when those extra base hits and, and home runs in particular start coming a little more regularly, uh, you know, pairing those two sides of his game is gonna be a whole lot of fun to watch. Um, and yeah. Admit, Nimmo's a repeat, but he is he's just been you know, what's his on base percentage right now? Five something? Yeah, it's in the fives somewhere. Yeah. High fives, which is Again, you know, it's it's not that many games, but, um, yeah, when your on base percentage is .583, uh, you're doing something right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'd say so. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for me, it you know, it, it's Domin Nimmo, as we said, and there really hasn't been anyone else that has super stood out yet. You know, the Mets have been getting uh pretty decent contributions from players up and down the lineup. You know, we saw Jonathan VR be the hero of the doubleheader somehow. Uh, you know, we saw, um, you know, just some nice timely hitting from. Uh, I, I guess from the usual suspects. You know, Pete has not been super hot yet. Conforto is still, ice, <coughs> excuse me, ice cold. You know, it's it's um it's it's encouraging that the Mets are able to be doing this with essentially half their offense looking like garbage still. Yeah. Uh, if anyone in the room has a uh, an offensive player they want to talk about, feel free to hit us up. We'd love to. Chat with you about it, Thomas. I'm looking at you, buddy. Any player standing out for you? Here it comes. All right. The offense has been terrible, so no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and it's like not. It's funny because they're they're like eighth in weighted runs created plus as a team, and it does not feel like that one bit. I bet a lot of that's Nemo too, being like the best hitter in the game right now.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: But yeah, it's, um, it's pretty crazy how good Nimmo's been
2: honestly I think my favorite thing that I've noticed so far is that a JD Davis has been hurt and the guys replacing him aren't like 0 for 30 <laughs> right now like it very clearly shows that they're gonna be fine if guys get hurt for a little bit and they'll be able to survive with their bench players um, like Yorme and VR was most of the offense in both games of that double he won the first game and had a double in the second game and drove in, a r- I think, the first run of the game. And Guillaume has been hitting a bunch of singles and walking. So, like, the bench is actually pretty good, which is nice to see. It's nice to actually have that.
0: Yeah, like, Guillaume's that was... OBP is uh, 533 at the moment.
2: Yeah, like, all he does is, like, take eight pitches in at bat and hit a single up the middle. And i go like, that's fine. <laughs> like, like when, when you're the backup second baseman, shortstop third baseman, and you play once a week or whatever. Like, that's exactly what I need you to do. They've just been getting so unlucky. It sucks.
1: Yeah. uh, But going back to the bench for a second, you know, I I was going to write about this in my bench preview, but then Chris wound up taking that from me because he was bored one day and wanted to write something. (laughs) Uh, But but I I feel like the bench this year, this is the first time in recent memory that the bench has been constructed to me with long-term fill-ins at the core of it, right? Like, if Davis, if Davis was out for the season, I wouldn't think, oh, they really need a third baseman. I think they could, they could make it work with who they have now. I think if almost anybody on the team went down, there is a logical person to fill in for more than a couple weeks. Now, you may eventually want to upgrade, but it's not like, you know, in years past, if your, if your star player went down, Eric Campbell's playing whatever position they were, they were playing, right? Like, this feels like a just very, very differently constructed bench for the team.
2: No, yeah, it is. And um It's it's like I hate I hate the phrase I'm I'm gonna say it, but I hate the phrase professional hitters because it's just they're all professional hitters. <laughs> but like but that that's really what it is. Like Jonathan VR was like a five win player two years ago. And like of course he's not that anymore. But that dude is never on the Mets bench, like you were saying. It's some like two years ago they're calling up some like quad a dude who can't play <laughs> you know like and so now like it's pro- jd davis could miss a little more than the 10-day il and they'll be fine like they, they could piece it together with Guillaume and um vr and then let D- davis come back and i think you gonna play a decent amount when davis comes back anyway especially when stroman pitches because he puts everything on the ground so you're going to get more i guess of a contribution from Guillaume fielding everything at third base than you would from Davis's bat. And you might double switch him in later, but maybe yeah. it's a platoon. Who knows? Cause Guillaume really looks really good, but um, I don't know. It's just nice that they could mix and match stuff. Like an outfielder gets hurt. You could put McNeil out there and play Guillaume at second. And if Pete gets hurt, you could put Dom at first base and put someone else in left. Like they have a lot that they could do. They could be really creative too, which is nice.
1: Yeah, the creativity is going to be a real boon for all the doubleheaders the Mets are going to have to play, you know, just to be able to field uh, a doubleheader roster without without just killing everybody because you only have one legitimate third baseman whatever on your roster. The Mets have so much depth right now. It's just it's it's great. It's really nice to see
2: Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com.
1: Like you said, Thomas, dude, they're getting so unlucky. And Chris, this is a kind of question I wanted to ask you. Is, is there any player that you've particularly seen as being particularly unlucky so far this season that just can't see?
0: Um, I mean, it's, it's sort of cheating just from <laughs> looking at fan graphs and stat cast leaderboards. But McNeil, I guess, is, is really the the best answer for how hard he's been hitting the ball and uh, how little he's gotten out of doing that. <clears throat> so yeah, that's, that would be the answer for me on, on that question. It, it, it just sort of feels like uh, Conforto doesn't seem like he's been unlucky. Um, he's just come up and, and he's just been bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, so it's not, it's not bad luck, but I do think he's, going to be fine you know a few games into the season that uh, both McNeil and Conforto were hitting uh, you know under 100 and under under 150 um obviously those two will improve but uh, yeah I don't know I just it's hard to really get a feel for it when it's just been a, a short burst of baseball that you know a delay a, a few games uh, another break because of weather a few games and then another break because of weather. So it's just hard to really, I don't know, pinpoint a guy and say, Oh yeah, he's, he's doing everything right. And, and it's, uh, it's not going well. I guess I will say that Keith Hernandez and Gary, Keith and Ron love Lindor and as they should. Um, but Keith talking about Lindor's definitely encouraging. Um, you know, I think I think he has a, a pretty good idea. You know, over the course of a season, there might be some things that come up. That uh, there was a story, you know, recently about Keith doing his best to stay current and not, you know, not sound uh, out of touch with the modern game, which, which I don't think he has. Obviously, you know, he's had some uh, opinions on things over the years that might be a little more, you know, back in my day kind of opinions, but. I think he gets it when it comes to hitting and what he's saying about Lindor makes me very uh, comfortable or or encouraged about the things that are coming. Um, not that I have any doubts to begin with, but, you know, it's just nice to hear from somebody on, on that level, uh, what they're saying and what they like about it. Um, So, yeah. And I I have to say, Gary, Keith, and Ron have been like really excellent this year. I know they always are, but (laughs) just something about it, it might go back to, you know, just, hey, it's 162 games and it feels not quite normal, but a little less totally weird than last year did. Um, That they just seem to really, really be in uh, like top form. So that's nice.
1: I wonder how much of that is that we've had to watch so much other baseball because of Mets being rained out so you, or or COVIDed out, so you see how many other bad announced teams there are out there. So when you get to watch the Mets, you realize how good they are. My brother lives in Arizona, and so he he's a Mets fan, but he, he often is watching Diamondbacks games, and he has MLB TV. And he said, like, how come the Mets have both an excellent announced team on radio and on TV, and no other team can field one excellent announced team? You know, and, and he's – There's slight hyperbole there, but, you know, the vast majority of especially radio announcers are not very good. Um, For those of you who, like me, were in the car for game one of the doubleheader, you had to hear Ed Coleman do some play-by-play. And it was the worst kind of play-by-play. You would hear the ball hit the mitt. And then, and that's a curveball for a strike. It was like five seconds after the, uh, the ball hit the mitt. And it was just so, so bad. And uh, we're just we're very lucky to have the announcements we have, obviously. But I agree, Chris. Uh, GKR has been just top notch this entire season so far. Um, now let's talk to Degrom for just a minute. You know, the last time Chris, you and I did a podcast, we were talking about you know Degrom's opening day start and how it was a shame that the Mets didn't get the win on that start. I think we can say all of that and tenfold for his second start against the Marlins where he gave up one run over eight innings and struck out 14 and lost the game. And I don't care about pitcher wins. I'm talking about just the team lost the game. Mm. At, at this point, do we think there's something supernatural going on here? Like what is it about the Mets? <laughs> where they, just, they just cannot win Degrom starts.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird thing. Uh, I try not to dwell on it too much. I, I... It would be nice if they won all of them. Uh, and, they, you know, given how well he pitches, they should be capable of winning all of them. But I don't know. I, I'll get a little more frustrated if, if we're in the second half of the season uh, or, or, you know, they're really in the heat of a, a, a race for either the division or, or a, any playoff spot. And it's happening at that point. And obviously any game early in this in a season can come back to bite you later in the year. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know. It's just right now it's one of those weird baseball things and I'm not going to allow myself to get worked up over it. Uh, if it happens in August or September or October, you know, that'll that'll be a little more frustrating. But the, I don't know. There's so many new faces on, on the roster that I can't imagine many of them is, even really know that, like, that's been a thing. You, you know, they <laughs> might have heard point. it after, like, sure. the first time they've played. Uh, in, in some of these games, and and I know a lot of the lineup has been around, but you know the the forty man roster had a lot of turnover. Uh, certainly Lindor and McCann are, are new faces. VR when he's in the lineup, uh, you know. So I like the offense overall. I I think it'll be fine. I think they'll probably win more of Degrom starts than they lose this year, just because it it wouldn't make sense for anything to continue uh, otherwise. And I'm, I'm not one to be superstitious or, you know, in, into any other supernatural explanation for things. But I don't know. Maybe that's the only one.
2: They're also about to play in a miserable situation tomorrow with DeGrom on the mound. Like, the snow in Colorado. So, like, I'm not expecting many, much run support then either. So that's going to be fun to see the tweets when... They score like two runs in Colorado tomorrow because it's like 19 degrees and snowing. And everyone's like, oh, he's cursed. I'm like, well, I don't know what you want them to do there. (laughs) (laughs) right?" But also like they just it's tough because they haven't played like. Like the the last time DeGrom threw, it was like all messed up with the rain and everything. So I don't know what do you it's I'll be more annoyed about it, like Chris said, in like a few months when the offense is rolling and plays every day. But right now they didn't hit for anyone. They didn't hit for they they didn't hit till the doubleheader, you know. Right. So yeah. it's it's hard for me to focus in on just the one thing and get mad that he got screwed out of a win in in August. I mean, uh,
1: yeah. No, I, I think it's it's only really an issue if the Mets lose the division by two games or something like that. And you look at the two games, you know, they should have won. Whatever. I think that, like you guys said, that's when it becomes a bigger a bigger issue. Um, that said, you know, I. I, I do think it's going to be very interesting. So I I was thinking about this last night watching Peterson pitch. So, Thomas, you and I talked to Peterson a few weeks ago on Locker Room. and uh, Yes. I, first of all, he, he looked excellent last night. That he did. The, he looked great. That was the best I've ever seen him throw uh, with my own eyes. And I, I'm really wondering what's going to happen to him when Syndergaard and Carrasco come back. And do you think that his stuff plays at all in the bullpen? Because I don't really see him as a uh, – as a legitimate bullpen. I want to hear both your thoughts on this. Um, So, I don't know. I could see him being a bullpen guy
2: because of the slider. Um, His slider is really good, and you could just make him throw that all the time. Um, Like, obviously, as a starter, you need to live with your fastball, and that's what's going to burn him because he can't really throw it inside to um, little righties. It's just going to, it's not hard enough and he doesn't have the commands. It's just going to do the Gene Segura thing and and bleed out over the middle of the plate most of the time. But like, I could see him being a reliever, but I think he's just going to go to Syracuse. Um, really no matter how good he is because you're, you want him as your sixth starter more so in my opinion, because we were talking about this in Slack very early this morning, like like nine or something or eight. But, um, Allison was saying that they should put him in the pen but I was basically saying you're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul at that point where say that someone else gets hurt then you have to re-stretch him out and he's not ready to be a starter so like at some point you just got to commit to him being starting depth and I think that's what they would do and what I would do too I would put him in I would just send him back down to Syracuse and let him get his reps down there
0: yeah I don't have any uh, I don't have anything to add better than that <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Let me ask you
1: this, Chris. Uh, sure. So next season, the Mets have under contract Jacob Degrom, Taiwan Walker, and uh, and that's it in terms of starting pitching. Do you think that the team is going to pencil um, Peterson in as one of their five starting pitchers? And if so, also they have Krasco too. They also have Carrasco. Uh If so. Do you think that um, – I mean, look, I don't know if the Mets were ever going to re-sign both Syndergaard and Stroman, but do right. you think that Peterson is pretty much guaranteed to be the fifth starter next season?
0: I think barring injury, I, I'd be shocked if it doesn't play out that way unless Lucchese and Yamamoto both outperform him this year, and then he's sort of looking at a you know a, a roster competition for the fifth spot again where he isn't the favorite candidate going into spring training so Mm -hmm. yeah I mean right now I'd say yeah sure that would be my best bet Um, but it really just comes down to health and and performance but I would have to assume but I don't know maybe uh, the the season goes exceptionally well and Steve Cohen's like I I, I like how this went Uh, here's money to uh, to Keep Strom and Syndergaard or keep one of them and, uh, and and bring in a pitcher who's you know who's pretty good to slot in with the guys who are already there. But I would have to think that as long as Sandy Alderson is is you know overseeing things, they're not going to have a you know hundred fifty uh, hundred fifty million dollar rotation. <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's tough because, you know, you draft players and then you develop them with the idea that they are either going to be cornerstones of your franchise or you're going to use them to trade for somebody who who will, you know, bring you more value. And I think that Peterson is that rare player where, I mean, even if he turns out to be like his ninetieth 90th, proje- 90th, 90th percentile projection that's not necessarily a superstar because of his stuff, right? He's a, he's probably, his ceiling is probably a number three starter. And that's probably even being generous, uh, there. So he's not the kind of guy who necessarily gets traded all that often. And he's also not the kind of guy that you want to deny a Strowman or Syndergaard, uh, contract to because of his stuff so you're you're in this weird position where he's he's sort of it's odd to have a highly regarded prospect who you know is only going to be your fourth and fifth starter
2: yeah he's interesting to me because i think he has like a safe floor as like a bottom of the rotation guy but i don't see a ceiling with him like he, he he'll go out there and do like these two starts are a microcosm of what he is, where sometimes he's going to get destroyed and sometimes he's going to look good and you never really know what you're going to get. And that's fine for your fifth guy when he makes half a million dollars a year. You know what I mean? Like that, like his best value to the Mets is going to be being really inexpensive and being solid. So he's probably just going to be the fifth guy and maybe the sixth guy. If some, if they get really lucky or Stroman wants to come back or whatever it is, but yeah, you could just have him eat a bunch of innings and then, uh, upgrade at the deadline if you want to or whatever they want to do. But he's by in no means irreplaceable, but I think he's going to have a really good shot at being
1: in the OD rotation. Yeah, I think it would take a lot for him not to be. Um, but yeah, I agree with that. Um, so just let's, let's look forward a little bit to this horrible series in Colorado, Chris. Um, <laughs> I just say horrible because of the weather. You know, I, I believe they said in the broadcast last night that the
0: low in Colorado on Saturday night is going to be 19 degrees. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I would point out is that the low temperature is at, like, 3 to 5 a.m. every night, everywhere. <laughs> but, sure, sure. So, you know, they won't, be, they won't be playing in 19 degrees, but it's not going to be particularly warm uh, <laughs> when they play.
1: Right. Um so,
0: you know, do you have
1: any uh so the rotation rotation's gonna be deGrom Friday, Lucchese Saturday, and then Stroman on Sunday. Um, you know, obviously it's gonna be cold for both teams. It, I I don't think one team necessarily has a cold weather advantage because even if your team I mean the Mets play in, in colder April than a lot of teams do, but no one plays in this cold of April, right? So um but do you have any particular uh sort of thoughts going into this, this series one way or the other in terms of things that are good for the Mets, things that are bad for the Mets, et cetera?
0: Um, well, things that are good for the Mets are that the Rockies are a, a total shit show. <laughs> yes, that that does help. And it's a nice ballpark, um, although it might not feel so nice because of the, the temperatures. But, yeah, I'm not, like, particularly concerned about DeGrom. <clears throat> um, you know, it looks like it's going to be in the 30s for most of the time that they're playing the game which is not comfortable, but I don't know. He, I, I think he'll be okay. I think Stroman is probably feeling very happy right now that he's got a, a day game start. Uh, it's supposed yes. to be 50, 55 on Sunday out there, which is going to feel downright bomby compared to what they've dealt with. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, I think uh, – Last week's episode, I was saying that I, you know, I hoped they would sweep the Marlins. They didn't quite do that, but you know, they, they, uh, I don't know, they fared okay. And then they swept the Phillies in the games that got played. Uh, so I would just hope that they can win the series. You know, obviously, you always root for them to win every game, uh, but if they can win the series, I, I, I know, the Rockies' starting pitching has has. Been a little bit better than maybe it typically is, but I'm never one to really buy into that too too much. Um I, mean, I guess my only other thought is like obviously with the weather supposed to be the way that it is, um I, I wouldn't expect the just absolute beatdown that the twenty fifteen cespedes Mets put on the Rockies in Denver <laughs> shortly after the trade. That was that was fun. Um I feel like did he hit three home runs in a game during that series? Maybe. I I want to say
1: he hit three over the series, not in one game. But I could be wrong. But I I remember watching that series and just thinking like, "Oh, so we're never gonna lose again? Cool." (laughs) Like it just it felt it felt like it was it was such a uh, it was such a huge upgrade, and it just that's when things started to feel real.
0: Yeah, he did hit three, three in one game. He drove in seven runs. Wow, three home runs and a double as he went five for six. <laughs> so, if, if you know, to Thomas's point earlier, uh, you know, if nobody's doing that because of the conditions, like, let's not hold it against them. <laughs> um, but having finally seen a game there in real life in 2019, when the Mets had pretty much faded, I think they were mathematically still alive. Uh, after that really fun stretch that they had in August and early September uh, to potentially make the playoffs in twenty nineteen, um, I saw the Mets play a game out there, and there there was one home run that was just like, and I know like everybody knows about the altitude. I guess talked about a ton, you know, and it has now for twenty five, twenty six years, um, or even longer. What are the Rockies ninety three? Or 95? Uh, 93. Okay. So, yeah. Jeez. Almost 30 years. But (laughs) I know it's not a new concept, but getting out there and seeing that in person. And, and, like, it was a ball that would have been a home run, I think, anyway. But it was just like, you know, thought it would clear the fence by maybe, I don't know, 10 to 20 feet. And then (laughs) it did a lot more than that. So, seeing that in person was kind of fun. But, again... Uh, there's some of that might be dampened this weekend, um, but yeah, yeah, no, no, extremely bold predictions. But maybe Lindor hits his first dinger of the year. I can see that there. That sounds about right. Yeah,
1: yeah the, a- After the Rockies, the Mets go to the uh, the friendly confines of Wrigley Field for three games. Um, the Cubs are, are a better team than the Rockies, but are certainly not uh, world beaters right now either. And I think that the Mets, if they can get in all six games, this will be by far the most baseball they've played uh, in, in a stretch thus far. There is a day off on Monday uh, for them, which, you know, I know players like having a day off. But right now, I'm sure every Mets player wishes they had a game that day because they just need to get into some sort of rhythm here. But... To me, if the Mets can come, when the Mets get back home next Friday against the Nationals, if they've taken four or five of the six games, I will feel very good about where the team is headed right now. And uh, I thought that's probably uh, a good goal to always go for for a road trip. But like you said, Chris, I think that with the Rockies being trash and the Mets offense just starting to wake up, if they can can really wake up on this road trip, it will be a, a very glorious thing to see.
2: Um,
1: so anyway, it is time for our, Oh, sorry, Thomas, go ahead. I was just going to say my
2: prediction is Mets offense breaks out in this road trip because the Cubs are also bad. Uh, yeah. and even Washington is like, they're okay. <laughs> like outside of Strasburg, I'm not afraid of any of their pitching and, uh, I mean, Strasburg, I'm sure, sir.
1: I'm not afraid of any of their pitching and Strasburg's hurt. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I was talking to, I said, for John from the good fight today and he was saying that he feels like. The Nationals are not what people thought they were. And I agree with that. He says yeah. he thinks the Phillies wind up being better than the Nationals. I don't know if that, I much could that see- Homerism, but I could see that happening.
2: I could see that happening. I don't know if my hot take is the Marlins are actually good, <laughs> but um, because their, their pitching staff is unbelievable. Like their starters, uh, they roll like four deep dudes who will make every rotation in the in the league. And in, in the, uh, I mean, probably in the league and also in the division. Like, um,. You you saw Trevor Rogers out-dueled DeGrom, like legitimately so. He was better than him for most of those innings because he's really, really good. and But, um yeah, I mean, um, neither of those teams are better. None of the three teams they're facing on this road trip are better than the Mets. So the offense should start to wake up, especially because they're going to play. Because they'll play tomorrow. That's the only yeah. game that's in trouble. Not, not in trouble, but in question. And they'll play because it's supposed to stop snowing like in the morning.
0: Yeah. One thing I'll say too, uh, just on the NL East topic there, and that we didn't really touch on too too much yet, but um, the Phillies, they just don't look good either. You know, I don't I don't know that they are necessarily as bad as maybe they looked in, in this series against the Mets. But even in the series, the Mets only won one game. I, I don't. There just wasn't a whole lot of like, oh no, I'm scared that this guy's coming up. Obviously, Bryce Harper is great. Um, they've got a few other guys who can do some things at the plate, but I don't know. They're just – by the end of the the six games that they've played against each other so far, it's kind of just been like, okay, you know, that just doesn't look like a team that's uh, that's really that good. I was thinking about this when I was watching
2: them, and, and I was watching the Mets pitch against them. I'm like, I'm not afraid of, like, most of this lineup. <laughs> like – like Hoskins is fine. I think he's kind of overrated. Like I'm, he's not, I'm not my I'm not a big uh, Reese Hoskins fan. Um, and uh, Harper's really good, but that's
1: about like like you said, that's about it. Like but Harper's a, also streaky, and Harper is also able to. Uh, H- Harper yeah. was shut down by the Mets this series.
2: Yeah, he didn't do much. And he also, like Luis Rojas is like terrified of him. Like every time he gets <laughs> up with like a runner on base, he's he's throwing up the four fingers for the intentional walk, which you don't really need to do, but. I get why he's doing it, because he's the big, scary guy. But also, like, Roman Quinn plays a lot, and Adam Hazley plays a lot. So, like, how is that team supposed to win a division, you know?
0: Right. Can we we make a segment of just reading a Rich tweet on every podcast? Sure. Go for it. So, uh, Patrick Corbin is getting shelled again tonight, and Rich tweeted while we were just saying the things we were saying after all of Patrick Corbin's worries about socialists and Antifa, the lefty then ended up doing the most damage to Washington DC was himself. <laughs> oh man. Uh, I was, so I was interviewed
1: for a piece about rich this week. And uh, my opening line was all of us think we're good at Twitter. And then you meet rich staff. <laughs> so um that's funny. But uh, so, Chris, what is your music pick for this week?
0: Uh, I'm going to be lazy and, and just go with uh, the most recent thing that was new to me. And, uh, I've, you know, I've made several recommendations either in writing or on the podcast uh, involving OCs. Uh, but they did another levitation session. So regular listeners who, who take notes on our music racks might remember that I re- uh, recommended their levitation session uh, from the fall. They did another one, and it was it was really good. It was a little more uh, like jammy experimental than than uh, a couple of the other sets that they've done. But it's available as like an album. Um, it's still available to watch the video streaming for another day or two once the once this podcast goes up. Um, but yeah, just a lot of great energy. I, I they're just mesmerizing to watch. They've got you know two drummers uh keyboard slash occasional guitar player behind them, bassist and then uh John Dwyer on vocals and guitar um you know throughout. Uh so yeah, it, it was just another really fun thing. I think they've been uh I, I appreciate everybody who's played music in weird situations to get out there to their uh their fans during all of this over the past year. But uh I think OCs have really matched the energy that you would see <clears throat> if they had a room full of hundreds or thousands of people with nobody there other than like a camera crew. So I recommend the uh the streaming set you can watch the video I think is 4 bucks which is just insanely cheap. Um and I, I believe the albums on Spotify, Apple Music, Bandcamp all that stuff, you know. To, to stream or available to purchase as a, you know, as a download for those of us who still like to have an MP3 library like uh, myself. So
1: uh, I'm going to pick an album that is almost impossible to hear right now <laughs> because I'm a bad person, but uh, I was reminded of an album this week. And I, ha- I hadn't thought about this album in a long time. I really liked it when it came out and I went through a phase in, like in my mid twenties when this was like my, my morning album. I I'd wake up in the morning and put this on. But it is not on Spotify right now, and I don't know why. Because this artist has another album that's on Spotify, and this artist is a big enough name that you would think they would um, there would be a deal made for it. But it is the debut solo album by Smashing Pumpkins guitarist James Eha. It's called Let It Come Down. It came out in between Melancholy and Infinite Sadness and Adore. For any Pumpkins heads out there, and it's almost entirely like acoustic uh it's really really pretty it's uh it sounds almost like um like an alt country album believe it or not and eha's singing voice is really nice it's really very uh mellow and pleasant and the the entire album is i, I believe it's twi- it's uh i believe it's 13 or 14 songs and it's it's really fantastic every song is really well written and well arranged uh there's a song called sound of love that is one of my absolute favorites. But like I said, it's hard to find. It, it's on YouTube. So I, I, will, I will link to the YouTube in the show notes for this. But I can't believe it's not available uh, on streaming platforms. So I, I got real sad this weekend when I looked on Discogs to see about buying it on vinyl. And the cheapest one is going for like $250. So apparently, this is not meant to be owned right now. But like I said, on YouTube, you can you find it. And you can probably find a CD used. But a buck, but I have the CD in a box somewhere in my house, so I refuse to buy it again until I just dig that box out and and find the CD. But uh, it's called "Let It Come Down" by James Eha from 1988. It's it's really really good. Um. Well, thank you for joining us. In oh, Thomas, you're still on here. Thomas, do you have a music for our listeners this week? Uh, um. Actually, hold on. Let me look
2: at what I've been listening to on Spotify. You know what? Right. Actually, I'm going to steal Vaz's from we were talking about it before, but I've been. I've never been a big fan of Bright, Eye, Bright Eyes, right? But I'm Wide Awake, It's Morning has been so good for like three weeks now. We were talking about this before, but I don't know why I can't stop listening to it because I'm usually not a big fan of, of his music, but I don't know. It's, it's hitting for some reason now. Um, I am I don't not know the biggest Bright Eyes guy either, but that album hits every time for me. Yeah, like, so I didn't... I wasn't a huge fan and then maybe you said listen to this album and I did. And I was like, Oh, I get it. <laughs> like I get why it could be good. Like I get the, 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 the plus side of this. And then now I've been listening to this a ton, but yeah, that's my pick. That last song road to joy
1: is uh pretty oh, so good. Yeah. But anyway, uh, thanks for joining us tonight, both on locker room and on the podcast. We appreciate it. I said, locker room is going to be seven thirty on Thursdays from now on. So, uh, check us out then you can check out amazing avenue at AmazonAvenue.com for all your mets needs even on days when there's a rain out there's still stuff to read at amazing avenue uh you can also find amazing avenue on facebook twitter and instagram at amazing avenue you can find uh the show on spotify stitcher apple Podcasts, anywhere you get podcasts you can find our show i'm on twitter at brian is an app. chris is on twitter at chris mcshane thomas is on twitter at at sad mets season szn correct Yes. And uh, until next time, let's go Mets. Bye, everybody.